Are y'all ready to get this started? Three, two, one. You're listening to Overtime. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poor. Made by athletes for athletes. Let's be great. Let's be great. Presented by I Live for Football. What's up, guys? I'm Miles Nelson, joined in the studio by the CEO himself, Frank Kugel. And with us, exactly 339 miles away, we have none other than himself, Tyler Webb. Gentlemen, how's it going? Great. It's going good. Yeah, yeah great night for our first podcast. I mean, it's been something we've really wanted to do since we started Outlook for Football. So it is episode one, day one. So <laughs> let's see what we can throw together for today. Yeah, this episode we get to bring you guys uh, Lord Quincy. He's uh, He was a football player at the University of Texas under Charlie Strong, so I'm looking forward to be able to interview him, be able to get you guys some of his great knowledge. He has a lot of great wisdom, uh, and I'm really looking forward to getting into that later on. Definitely, definitely. All right, um, well, first, uh, I kind of want to talk about something that's affected the football community the past week. Um, first, I just want to say uh, the entire team here is praying for everyone affected by Hurricane Harvey uh, down in Texas. Um and someone who's really, you know, taking control of this whole situation is J.J. Watt. Uh, you know, the Texan star, he, it's unbelievable what he's done. I mean, the past, I mean, what's it been, almost a week, and he's raised $20 million. I yeah, mean, that, that's, insane. that's crazy. That's unbelievable. I mean, and he's used, you know, he's used social media as the main platform of this, and he's raised so much money, and he's helped these people out so much, and he's done such a great thing for Texas. And I, I think it's just, it shows what kind of person he is, and that, what you know what football and what social media can bring together and i think this is just a huge thing um oh yeah no absolutely i totally agree with you miles i mean and the thing is this isn't the first thing jj watt's done i mean he's been doing great community outreach since he was you know at madison with the badgers i mean now with the texans i mean he reached out to high school events play 60s he's always out in the community you know jj watt is just like I mean, the definition of what you want to see in an nfl football player exactly he's he's a good guy i mean like to like to the core like he he's not the type of guy to let like the money and the fame get to his head he's a genuine good guy and i i think not only can we i mean up here we could thank him enough but down in texas these people who've been affected by this you know, travesty, they, they cannot thank J.J. Watt enough. Um, and, I mean, he's gotten other athletes, he's gotten celebrities, models, random people to donate money um, just because he used his voice. And I think it's it's just unbelievable. A hundred percent. And I think I think it's really a testament, too, and I know, Miles, you said it, but just the power of social media and the power of people when they're able to be connected. And it's something that, you know, is so cool. Um, and we've really been a part of that experience just running – um, I live for football just to really see how how grateful and how willing people are to reach out when they have those tools to be connected. And obviously, he's done a lot of it through Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that. But it's so cool to be able to see an athlete like him who has so many followers use his reach and use all of those followers, um, you know, for something that's so great and so useful. And in a crisis like this, um, I don't think there's anybody better that could have stepped up. And I think the whole you know, Houston community has to be grateful for it. And I think people like us who do stuff on social media, um, that's really a testament to sort of the power that he has and the power that, you know, a lot of people with big followings have. And I don't think people utilize that enough for good. Um, I think a lot of people try to exploit it for money or fame or something, but to see it utilized for good is really, really encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, too, like, if you really think about it, he he set a goal um, when he first started this whole, 
you know, donation thing for $200,000. It was so small. He was so humble about it, too. He was like, I don't think we're going to meet it or yeah. anything and like that. And a week later, he's $20 yeah. million. Like, that's yeah. just unbelievable. That just and shows it, what great of a guy he is. It's, it's unbelievable. phenomenal. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, he... It is insane. It, it is. It really, I mean, and to think, I mean, not only J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt obviously started this whole thing, but so many athletes have been donating millions of dollars to this, you know, this good cause. And I think it just shows that not all athletes are like... A lot of people, when they think of athletes, they think they're just these meatheads who, once they get rich and famous, they just blow all their money right. on women 100%. and drugs and alcohol. But it's not true. I mean, 100%. a lot of these athletes are good mm-hmm. guys, and they really care about their communities. And I mean, J.J. Watt is even from Houston. He's not from Texas, and he's doing exactly. Like, that's 100%. unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Yeah. He's, 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 just, he's just, you know, he's a class act. It, shows, it really shows the amount of leadership on his end, too. I mean, look, he started this trend. I mean, then there's, like, baseball teams, basketball teams, football teams. I mean, all these people are donating to the fund. And, you know, just to think, he started it. I mean, really, mm-hmm. he was he's at the bottom there that started this, and it's just crazy how it's blew up. But yeah. I just think it really shows off who J.J. Watt really is, you know, that he is a class act NFL football player. I mean, I honestly cannot in my mind think of another football player that is on the same level as him right now now in the nfl just how he is with the community and just how he's real you know like there's nothing to hide there yeah and i think even more so than this being a testament to like jj watt or this being a testament to social media i think this just says something that's really cool about the game of football itself and i know like you know having all played ourselves and obviously all the listeners listening right now i mean you guys have probably either if you're not playing right now played in the past that you know being on a football team and being in a community um, that has a football team, that's really a sense of, that's something that people can bond over all the time. And, uh, you know, to be able to utilize that in a really powerful way, you know, obviously people can do it just to rally behind a team and hopefully they win one Friday night. But to be able to take all that energy and to put it to something so positive, I think is really a testament just how great of a game football is and how it how it connects people, you know, all, so, all different kinds of people and people that you've never even met before. Um, it really has the power to do that. So I just, it's just an awesome story. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, can we all agree that if J.J. Watt doesn't win the Walter Payton Award, we should riot next season? I mean, that, that, that would be, a, like, that would be ridiculous. I don't, even know, I don't even know who's in second place right now for the Walter Payton oh, Award. Oh, there's no one. It's him, and then it's I his, don't think, I think everybody yeah. else is tied at, like, zero, right? It, like, J.J. Watt is number one, and then J.J. Watt's phone is number two. Like, there's no way, like... But you, you, know, right. the, you know the thing, that being said, J.J. Watt did not mean for that to happen. Oh, he did not do that for the award. It's just J.J. Watt, Watt is that good of a being J.J. Yeah. J. Watt. Yeah. And right. I think people really need to understand, and I hope it really opened people's eyes, showing who the real J.J. Watt is and just how real and how like sincere this man really is and how class yeah. act. You know, all these people have such a misperception of some of these NFL football players, which, I mean, you hear stuff that happens around the NFL, I mean, you have the right to do that. But, I mean, then you look at J.J. Watt, it's just like, wow. Look, he's using his fame, his profession as an NFL superstar to do really good. And it just shows maybe more NFL players should really try and step up to the plate and follow in the footsteps of J.J. Watt. Because, I, as I said before, there is no one who even comes close in connecting no. with the community and just being as real and as friendly as J.J. Watt. And you can even think about it too. I mean, he he's now the poster boy for the NFL. And with all the, with all the bad things that are going on in the league right now, and I mean, I think the league overall just has that sort of stigma of like, you know, you have 
whether it be, you know, a drug abuser in the news or somebody that beats women, just terrible, terrible things that, you know, some of these players are, are really exceptional, um, but you can't put your whole league behind it and you can't risk your image on some of these players just because of some of the of some of the past that they have and some of the terrible headlines, you know, not to say anything about who these guys are as people and what their actions say about them, but that's just so risky to the public eye. Someone as solid as J.J. Watt, I could see him being the poster child for the NFL for a really long time to come, and I think that's something that he fully deserves and he's fully capable of, of handling. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, because even look at, like, like top talents in the league right now. I mean, you think of, like, all the quarterbacks. Like, eh, they, there's always some sort of, like, whether it be, like, the like Tom Brady, like, the deflate gate, like, that's on him. And, like, and others. And, and others. others, exactly. There's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of gates with Tom Brady, but like he can't be the face of the NFL. Like he's probably one of the best players, but he can't be the face because there's so much behind him that doesn't look good. But JJ Watt, JJ Watt is a hundred percent good dude who has done nothing but ever since he's come in this league, he's been nothing but well, even before the league. I exactly, mean, even in yeah. college football, yeah. you heard just stories yeah. out of Cam Randall how he would go the extra yard. I mean, to make sure dream kids' dreams came through. And just, like, he's just a phenomenal all-around guy. Could not agree yeah. more. 100%. We have Lord Quincy, uh, who played two years at the University of Texas. Before that, he played at Ajuco College, uh, Navarro College. Um, so he's here to talk to us about how football has affected him in his life, you know, high school through college, um, and just some wise words. So here we go. All right, uh, Miles and Frank here. Uh, on the phone, we have Lord Quincy, who is a... Uh, Former University of Texas football player. Um, hey, Lord, can you just give uh, the listeners a little background information on yourself? Yeah, um, so I was a junior college transfer uh, in the University of Texas. I played uh, my la- my final two years at Texas under Coach Strong. Uh, his last year was my last year I graduated in December. How did the, uh, the whole recruitment process go for you? I mean, for someone going into a... Uh, like a JUCO, how how did that go differently from you? How did, can you how could you explain that to a, an athlete going into the, JUCO? Basically, how they how they look for athletes in JUCO is they want to have you out in December. So basically, you're I did I did a full two years there, but fortunately enough for me, um, the way I went in set me up so that I would graduate by December. So I did my two years, like I said, but I enrolled my first uh, semester in junior college after uh, Christmas. So it would be, what, that spring semester I enrolled in junior college. Okay, and how how was the transition from JUCO to such a big dominant school like Tech? Like, how, can you explain that? I mean, it's hard to explain, Honestly, I imagine. Yeah. but That transition from junior college to University of Texas – Honestly, it's like no other. Like, I've played football at JUCO and, like I said, All-American. But nothing we did there, like, even came close to how hard we worked when we got to Texas. They were, like, I was worked out muscles I never even knew, like, existed in me, you know. Um, just the time schedule, it's much more demanding at a Division One compared to a JUCO. Um, you spend way more time watching film. Just football in general takes up way more time at a Division One compared to at a junior college where, okay, you wake up in the morning, uh, you'll work out, then you'll go to your classes, and then you watch probably about 30 minutes of film before practice, then you go practice, and then, you know, it's a quick day compared to at Texas. It's like 
you're out. You put in hours on top of hours watching. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, at at Texas, what did your typical week, like in season week, look like? How how often did you spend training and working out, and how much film did you actually watch? Because a lot of kids that are, you know. You know, gonna start going to these schools. They, I, I don't know if all of them understand exactly what, how long, like how much time they're gonna have to put in. So, how much time do you think you put in on a week of just training and getting like football oriented? Like, how much during a week? How long? How long? Uh, um, honestly, I can't even give you an exact number, but I can tell you how a whole game week would go. Um, so essentially, a game week, it would go Monday. You would. Well, I mean, the first Monday in the season, you're coming out of camp, so you've been watching film, you've been um, you've been studying your opponent. Now you're picking up tendencies, checking on players who are coming back, seeing if you can get a little bit of an upper hand on watching their film. A guard may sit a certain way when he's going to pull, or um, from the offensive perspective, that uh, one safety might be down lower if they're going to blitz that side or running a particular scheme. Um, but as I was saying, so we'd come in probably around like three o'clock in the afternoon and watch film for about one to two hours. Usually Mondays are the days that people would have like later classes or Monday's usually a tough day for class because they know that you don't have football practice. Okay. So now we fast forward to Tuesday, Tuesday morning, we're up. We had a six, six o'clock start lift. We start at six. Um, and you lift and we'd go upstairs that had breakfast for us. Then you'd go back, depending on what time you had class, you could take a nap or you just had to go to class. Um, about two o'clock, the uh, training room would open. So fast forward, you go to class all day. And then now it's time to get taped for practice. They start taping at two o'clock. Um, position meetings, or if coach called up a team meeting, it would start at three. So then you're in, you're in there till, I don't know. For approximately an hour, hour and a half, depending on the day. Four o'clock, we're about headed up to the um, to the practice facilities, warming up. Warming up for practice is literally just like literally practice. Yeah. <laughs> warming up for practice was basically, <laughs> you know, it's like practice before you stretch. Exactly. Then we yeah. stretch, and we're basically doing the same exact thing. We probably get out of there at about seven. So then. Yeah, probably about seven. You get back down, shower all day, go get more dinner. Um, so yeah, that's basically how it go for up until the day before, like the Thursday before a game. Thursday practices are short. Um, they're they're less periods. Like say, average we average twenty two five minute periods on a Thursday. We probably hit sixteen to eighteen periods, five minutes each. Um, go through your, all your special teams and stuff like that and then friday you come in they let you know what time it depend uh what time we played away or if we played home what time we had to be at the facility um so friday just depending on what time they tell us to come we're gonna come and we're gonna take our hydration test uh this is before even coach herman was there like coach strong was make us take a hydration test um yeah, so we do that, and then we probably then they'd have special teams meetings, and you'd probably be in special teams meetings for about probably say about forty five minutes before you even went to your position meeting of film. 
um, after you did, you were probably in position meetings for probably about an hour, an hour, 45 minutes. Either one of those were probably both 45 hour. Depends. Um, and then we'd come together. We'd basically have like a team walkthrough. They do, we do like kickoff. We do punt. We basically simulate everything as if it was a, a game quick, like, you know, offense got their run one play, uh, offense practice, quick kick then you know, little things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, I mean, we probably had about 10 periods of practice or whatever offense getting their last adjustments in, you know, just getting a feel of everything before you, next time you did it was on Saturday morning, either in the hotel lobby or yeah, um, a parking lot, garage, you know, whatever the circumstance, uh, called for is where we warmed up prior to our game on Saturday. And yeah, I mean, honestly, me saying like this doesn't tell you how much time uh, it actually takes up, but I mean, that's it, it. I mean, it dominates your life. I mean, for the, exactly, for the, exactly, for the season and the off season, it's football. So the last two years of, because you played at Texas for two years, right? Yeah. So those uh-huh. two years, I mean, you it was football. Football was your life, and that was about it. Football is, yeah. Was there anything that happened, like, that you wish you did differently looking back or something that you wish yeah, you honestly, kind of, any anything you would have changed? Anything, if I could have changed anything right now, I wouldn't change. Okay, so I'm not sure that they know, but I was recruited to Texas as a DN, as I previously stated. Yeah. Um, so my senior year, uh, I was asked to play tight end, and I was like, cool, you know, we're lacking at depth. Like, I'm a senior. They obviously must feel like they're going to utilize me if they're asking me to come to offense. All in all, with all that being said, is I didn't play much my junior year. Played a lot of special teams as I did my senior year, but, um, yeah, I wish I would have got registered in my junior year so I can I could have been the star tight end literally as we speak at Texas, but, you know. Yeah, um... So yeah, and actually position change. I I did some research before we started, and I knew you'd change positions. And I know there's a lot of kids that have to deal with that. How did you deal with that? And was there any advice you can give kids that have to deal with this position change? Because I know some kids have never done that before, so they don't exactly know how to react. So if you have any advice for some kids, what, what would it be? Yeah, honestly, I'll, I'll I'll put it like this: every kid that's out there has a dream of going and playing the NFL, and the one way you'll be able to help yourself is with versatility. You may love the position, say, wide receiver. That's, you know, the glory position. Man, if you could play cornerback, you could play nickels, you could play nickel, you could play Sam linebacker, you could play whatever. Play it all. Anywhere the coach needs you to play, play it. Don't get this stigma stuck, oh, I want to do this, this is all I can do. Odell, to be an Odell Beckham, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's somebody that comes around every here and then. Exactly, exactly. But, you know what I mean? That That's a, that's He's a profound star that everybody looks up to. You can do that and be versatile. I mean, for a good prime example of something to look at is just how, like, Jabril Peppers. You know what I mean? He's he's somebody that did anything he could for his team. Yeah. Every aspect, you know. Yeah. So I, I just say don't ever limit yourself to anything. Um, and when you got more, when you don't think you have anything left in the tank, trust me, you got some more. Okay, for sure, yeah. Um, so we're going to take it back a little bit to high school. Um, so because a lot, a lot of listeners here are probably high school players, um, what, what from the transition, and you're a good example because you went from high school to JUCO and then to a D1, 
how 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 should high school kids prepare in high school if they're going to the next level? How how do you think in high school they should start to change their habits, if anything? In preparation for high school, honestly, I would just say if they don't have a high IQ for the game, but they want to play it uh, at the next level, find somebody that does know the game well and and find that figure out as much information as you can while you're younger, so that when you get up to level you're at the D1 school, everything just makes that much more sense. It's easier to catch on to schemes and reasons why this happens. So so with with that being said, basically study the game as much as you can in high school. Don't just do what's required and hey, you're bored, trust me, there's something that you can be doing as a high school athlete to better your game. Whether it's you go out there, hey, you don't got to go out there and put three hours in of footwork by yourself. Ten minutes a day, that little bit of a difference. You know, ten minutes each day adds up. Yeah, hey, that's awesome. So, uh, once again, just from my team of Miles Nelson, who did a great job interviewing you, uh, myself, and then we had Tyler Webb as well in the studio, just we want to thank you for your time and, you know, just spreading your love for the game to all the athletes listening to our new podcast over time. And uh, we hope to have you back again. No doubt. Hey, just tell everybody, follow me on Twitter at LQVaster. And then I got the same as, at name for Instagram, so. Okay. Hey, easy. Yeah. That sounds awesome. You have a great night. All right. No all doubt. Right. Have a good one. Take yeah. it easy. Okay. So our Twitter beef of the week. Uh, we're going to ask you guys a question, and you're going to send us your responses through Twitter. Um, should Ezekiel Elliott be suspended for the first game? So for those of you who don't know, um, there is a alleged domestic violence, domestic assault charge on Ezekiel Elliott. Um, NFL suspended him six games. He appealed the suspension. It got upheld, so he's to be suspended. But he gets to play in the first game against the Giants. Um, why this is, we don't know. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I I really don't know what to think at this point. It's it's kind of crazy the way the NFL does it, and I think it's almost like Roger Goodell sits up late at night and just reads Twitter and just reads like, Twitter's angry replies and all these Cowboy fans that tweeted really angrily at him. And I think for some reason he thinks that Ezekiel Elliott one game against a division rival will like settle the the anger of all of these Dallas Cowboy fans on Twitter. And Dallas Cowboy fans on Twitter are relentless, so I don't think he's out of the clear here yet. They still have to play a ton of tough teams, including the including my Green Bay Packers. So I think I think it's going to be just as bad for him. I don't think I don't think Roger Goodell did himself any favors, and I think if anything, he actually put himself more into the woods because nobody knows what the hell he's doing right now. Only giving him one game at the beginning of the year and then pushing out the suspension. So I don't know what you think, Frank, but this is ridiculous. You know, I kind of have mixed reactions too. I mean. The, the number one thing is we all have to remember is domestic violence is nothing to mess around with and the allegations and they haven't released the full investigation or whatnot. So obviously the general public, that being said, we don't really know exactly what they've found or what they've concluded. I mean, all we know is they conducted an investigation and they've upheld his suspension, but they're letting him play the first game. So that doesn't really make sense to me. I don't know if I'm just not not understanding what's going on. I mean, on the other hand, I, I do agree with you, Tyler, in this aspect that, you know, it's not doing anyone any favors. Um, but I don't know. My, my big message just is, like, if something, if any domestic violence did happen, um, obviously the NFL is 
taking a stand on it and they're making it, you know, verbal that like it's not okay, which I agree with. I mean, domestic violence of men, women, children, etc. It's not okay. 100%. And I think it's crazy because obviously the NFL gave them the, the six games, which is kind of their, they've kind of made it their status quo for domestic violence. But every time they've done that, they've had, they've had evidence on top of that. So they must have brought some sort of evidence, um, to, obviously, to suspend him like they, that. They, yeah. They had to. The crazy part is, though, Jerry Jones still, and that's, that's whatever you think about Jerry Jones, he might be a senile, crazy old man, but he he still says that there's zero evidence and that they're doing this all on on baseless allegations. So I think it's really interesting that there's such a rift between the NFL, who basically has made the statement without actually coming out with the evidence, saying that they, they have solid, concrete evidence that, that proves this, and Jerry Jones saying that they have nothing and this is totally baseless and false and everything. I, I just think it's crazy that there's such a rift and that one of these people have to be right, and maybe they're both a little right, but I don't know. I think it's maybe the NFL covering their backs a little bit for things that have happened in the past. So we want to hear your guys' thoughts on the whole Ezekiel Elliott situation, so let us know on our Twitter, uh, at ILFF Podcast, and that's it for this week, so we will catch you guys next week. Thanks for listening.